Good evening, everybody. It's Patricia from Sacred Cow Barbecue. We're running a little slow here. We've, we're on a very, very tired old MacBook because my hard drive crashed uh, last Sunday, and it's still at Apple getting replaced. I apologize for uh, any technical difficulties tonight. We're uh, in spinning rainbow hell, but that's no reason not to listen, and I think I'm going to rename my show from Sacred Cow Barbecue to Blackbird Nine show because Frederick... C. Blackburn has been my guest, I think, three weeks in a row now, and it's been fabulous having him here. Frederick, how are you tonight? Great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Oh, we're delighted to have you back. You can be my co-host every night. We're going to be talking about something really cool, your your pepper plan, and you're going to explain that to us. But I also want to say good evening to Dutchman. How are you tonight? Hi, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. We want to do some things we want to talk about. Anything that you want to lead off with first, Frederick? Just a shout out to the chat room and to Dutchman. I hope everybody's having a good evening. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. Tell everybody how they can get into the, the, the chat room tonight. Yes, we're once again slumming in Mr. Dennis Fecho's chat room over at InsideTheEyeLive.com. That's InsideTheEyeLive.com. And just click on the chat room and log in like you would any other Chatango site. We've got some good people in there tonight. Cassarette, nice to see you. It could be Cassarette. I've never, I've never heard it pronounced, but it's spelled Cassarette. Good to see you over there, and, and we'll try to do what we can to, to join you in there. So, excellent. Thanks, Frederick. There was a situation this week in San Francisco in a school. Do you, do you want to tell us that story? Because I'm just disgusted by it. Oh, my. I'm, I've been up in arms since I, I discovered this. I sort of discovered it out of the blue, and I, I couldn't put it down. You know, there's not much available on the story. It's kind of a, kind of a small thing, I guess, in the eyes of the, the media and the average person in this country. Yeah, they want to keep, they want to keep it small. Absolutely. It is a story about Everett Middle School in San Francisco. The principal is named Lena Van Heren, H-E-R-R-E-N. Pretty blonde They held a, pardon me? I saw a photo of her. She's a pretty blonde lady. Yes, yes, she is the, she's a, a real shiksa. Perfect. That was, uh, they held the student body elections on October 10th. On October 14th, a letter was sent out to the parents advising them that she was not going to reveal the results of the election because they they were not in favor of the representation of the 80% black student body. Is it 80% uh, it was, black or 80% just non-white? No, no, 80% black. Holy cow. And, and then 15% Asian and Hispanic, 5%, uh, roughly 5% white, 5 to 7% white. So these, these kids held an election and they elected the white kids to all the, not, not all white kids to all positions. There was a couple Hispanic kids as well that were elected into the positions, but uh, that still wasn't good enough. She wanted uh, representation for the blacks. So she set out to rig the election is what she did. She was, when she first started this crap, she didn't want, she wanted to actually cancel the whole thing. How, how ridiculous. I'm sure the school superintendent and stuff 
obviously got on her and said, "Hey, you can't do that. You'll be you'll be ostracized." So she's now backtracking. She's released on. Uh, she's released them. Yeah, to, uh, like I think yesterday, she released the results, and she said that. Yeah, she said that. She was never going to annul the votes, but she wanted to engage the candidates and see how they would go about ensuring that the underrepresented groups would be heard. Funny, because they were being heard when they cast their votes. Heron had an idea to expand, this is her current idea, is to expand student council positions and only allow blacks to fill those new spots without the students even having a say. So she's going to just appoint them to elected positions and expand it. To, if you're going to expand that council, you're going to need to have an election for that, too, as well. Am I right? Uh, apparently not. Yeah, but I mean, in real life. Frederick, what do you make of this so far? What came to mind immediately was the old Stalin quote of it isn't the people who vote that count. It's who counts the votes or some <laughs> such. <laughs> right. Uh, when I heard the story, I thought it was something from The Onion at first. That 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 can't be really happening. Somebody's making fun. And it's like, no, this is really a case where they nullified an election because it was not diverse enough. And I was just thinking, how politically correct and out of control with this cultural Marxism can we get? And that pretty much pegs the meter, I think. And the fact that this was... My understanding is she's just a blue-eyed, blonde, European-descent female doing this. But my second thought was, is this just another self-hating European-descent person that's trying to be politically correct to further their career, possibly? That they're showing that they're a team player in this cultural Marxist agenda in the school system. They're trying to impress somebody to get ahead somehow. Yeah, that's just speculation on my part. These are just things that came to mind as I heard this story in passing. But I was outraged that it was a real story. So you gave us the facts, Dutchman. Tell us how you felt about it. Well, I wanted to add also that some of these students were interviewed. Some of the students actually made good points there. Well, One particular student, the Hispanic one, said that he's he's just fed up with the whole thing and doesn't think he wants to be a part of anything at that school anymore. You know, he he just wants it to be over and he's just discouraged with the whole process and kind of lost faith in it. And that's what a lot of the students expressed is that one student said that you would expect this kind of election rigging from a, from a kid and that it was immature of her, you know, that he wouldn't ex- have expected this from an adult and stuff. See, most of them lost their drive to be a part of the student body where she's in charge of it. Were any of the black students interviewed? Were any of these people black that were interviewed? Or I did don't they know not because say? I could Yeah, I couldn't get that information and so little on it. What I my the first thing that came to my mind was let's let's just reverse a couple things. Let's 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 uh say this white woman was trying to withhold the information and and rig it so white students had won. Say that black students did really win. If she was trying to make the white kids win, what would happen right now? She she would, for the first time in how long, would we have a public hanging? Well, I'm calling Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton immediately. Oh, they would have been there. They would have been there beating her head in. 
the, the thing is, now it can just be brushed right away. Oh, well, she's came around. It's okay now. You know, it didn't get enough attention. It started to get attention. They swept, she, she changed her mind. They swept it right under the rug. The thing is, it's, she's got 80% black there. There's no way that this was what made her ever think that it was cool to, to do what she was trying to do. I could just see her in her days at Berkeley, you know? <laughs> Obvious Berkeley, <laughs> obviously a Berkeley grad for sure. She's got to be. <laughs> oh, man. The things that go on, the communism that goes on out there from what I've heard anyways. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That was on one of the headquarters. One of the headquarters. So what would make somebody think 80% black students, 15% Hispanic students vote mainly for white students for their um, student government? What does that tell us? What does that say to you folks? Mm-hmm. Can it say, yeah. say anything to you? Yeah, it, 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 it says a lot. It says a lot. They... They know who is going to take care of business. They know what kids are going to get those things done and and take that job seriously. So, I mean, I'm I'm still surprised by it, though, honestly, because I, I, I wouldn't even have thought that they wanted somebody to take the job seriously. All I can think is they don't want the job themselves because it's extra responsibility. Let somebody else carry it who wants to carry it. And then again, we have no idea how many actually cast a vote, do we? No, we don't have any idea how many actually ran for office. How many people were on the ballot? Right, right. That, yeah, we don't know who wanted to be. They, they're just not releasing too much of it, as normal with children, you know. They're only, uh, these kids are 13 years old. It's middle school, so 13 and 14 and it's not Incredible. like they're going to have a big, big sway over the education board or anything, or even a big say in what goes on. You know, maybe what's going to, they're going to put on for a, the, the Christmas play, what, what that's going to be, the holiday entertainment. I mean, really, how much does a student body really have to say in how the school operates? Not much. So what difference did it make to her to stick her nose into this and ignore how the students had voted? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird that she wasn't able to see that too. You know what it was? She just thought immediately when she when she sided with the blacks, she just figured immediately that she's seen those rules getting broken all her life. You know what I mean? So she's just going to break them too. The the regular rules of of the world, the law of the land. So now we're going to have well, just... affirmative elections. <laughs> exactly, affirmative elections and she she just figured she'd jump on with them. Who's going to oppose her? Right? She's siding with the blacks. Who can oppose? They'll be racist. Yeah. One thing I find <laughs> interesting, if I can jump in, just confirming that conspicuous by its absence, neither the ADL nor the SPLC had a immediate statement about this. And your comment, if it had been the other way around, I'm sure the ADL would have immediately released a press release demanding that something be changed because this is an outrage, etc. You have complete silence on this from the ADL and the Southern Poverty Law Center, which I find typical. Very typical. <laughs> this one was a, was a head-scratcher to me. I couldn't believe that she could get away with it. And, and several people sent it to me, so I was like, oh my gosh, isn't this interesting? You really feel, uh, D- Dutchman, that 
the other children voted for white students because they thought they could do a better job than anyone else. Well, they they absolutely thought that. They wouldn't have voted for him if they didn't think that. Have you, I guarantee that. Have you run into that? You you grew up in a heavily black neighborhood in what you call the ghetto. Mm-hmm. Did you see this? Do you, have you seen this in business? Have you seen this any other place? Well, I can tell you in our school elections, it was the same thing. The kids, the white kids with the straight A's were elected to all those positions. They could have, there was enough blacks at my school to get blacks into those positions if they wanted, at least real close. I mean, the truth is we we had, I, I don't know the exact numbers, at least 50 to 60% at least. And then if every white girl would have voted black as well. So that's and, and, the way and, white, and whites were still elected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the white girls. A white mayor this year. I meant to say the white girls would have sided with the blacks and went their direction. Obviously, they didn't vote black or I, I, there was a few blacks that ran. They just they didn't make it. Hey, I'm sorry you're so miserable with a cold, brother. Yeah, I'm all uh, my uh, face okay. is swollen. <laughs> oh sorry. gosh, sorry to hear that. <laughs> okay, well that's uh, that's a really interesting thing and doesn't surprise me at all. Outrages me, but it doesn't surprise me. That's how Marxists feel in liberal Northern California. Unbelievable how the liberals have been brainwashed into being anti-white. And we all know that anti-racist is a code word for white genocide. The thing that you know strikes me is going back to some things we were talking about last time about natural leadership. And there's what we call the one of 20 rule or the 5% rule where you put 20 people in a room and one of those people is going to emerge as the natural leader. This was a clear case of you put a group of peers in a room together and the natural leaders by their peers were the white children. And that's something to think about. And what do you think about that? That people uh, are going to say European white supremacists? Are you saying white supremacists? No, it's just uh, I think European culture cultivates that idea of both cooperation and leadership as just part of the culture versus what we were talking about last time of these very negative dominance systems in the uh, places where Dutchman was talking about where he grew up with that black culture was just so... Uh, you know, aggressive and violent, and there was that, no co- cooperation there, and there, you didn't have that sense of a leader that could pull everybody together to better everyone, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think that's part of European culture, that you just have this natural sense of finding the leaders and the leaders are going to emerge to try to bring everybody together. That's just part of the history. And that's what, you know, built civilization. Okay. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Cause I see the opposite going on right now. 
I see Europe being very heavily divided because of ancient wars and dis- disputes between other Caucasians, other Europeans, that they, they're failing to unite together against the common enemy, even when they know exactly who it is. Dutchman, I, you want to take a stab at that first, or you want me to jump in? Go ahead, buddy. Okay. Well, um, I think the big thing there, especially over the last 2,000 years, I'm uh, in the middle of reading Mr. Mike King's wonderful two-volume set on Planet Rothschild, which is quite the eye-opener of looking at the history I was taught at high school level, secondary education, at college and at university in a completely different way in that there were always these hidden hand banksters behind the scenes of all these wars. And you ask, you know, who benefited from that war? And it was a grand chessboard where I think Europeans have been pitted against each other for by these bankster class people for hundreds and hundreds of years, especially since the 1800s with the you know the so-called Great War, World War II, etc. And looking at history in those terms, uh, Michael Rivero over at WhatReallyHappened.com has a wonderful piece he did a few years back that is very well done and highly recommended called All Wars Are Bankster Wars. Absolutely. So I just think that uh, Europeans are very prideful of their culture and very protective of their culture. And so you tell somebody that that's being attacked, you're going to have very brave men and women willing to fight for it. And that's how I think you get tricked into a war is, say, you're being attacked and show a bloody shirt to somebody and then you want to get revenge and then it escalates until the bankster class gets what they want and suddenly there's a peace treaty. Okay, I can see that. And, of course, I'm a big fan of Mike King's. Tomato Bubble is one of the best sites on the web, if you ask me. Totally agree with you there. And, and Mike did a great uh, – Mike Rivera does a great job on, on many topics. But here's the thing. So if, if Europeans are so centric and so proud of their culture, who are these shills that we see out there saying, welcome refugees in, in this complete invasion of Europe right now? You know, that's what I say. Europeans, white people in general, have lost their identity. They do not know who they are. They've been told that they're terrible people. They're responsible for all the ills in the world. They're responsible for racism and slavery and any other terrible thing that's happened so that they don't stand up for themselves. Right, and I think it's a product of a long-term psychological warfare operation to destroy the culture. And we were talking about, you know, fourth-generational warfare tactics and how, you know, wars are not fought like a football game anymore. You don't have two sides lining up. It's all about destroying the cultural identity and taking out the leadership so that, the people will follow the new system that's presented to them because there are no leaders left from the old system. All the old leaders and all the old system have been discredited. There's a horrifying video of a lady named Barbara Lerner Specter. 
Mm. Where she's talking about how Europe will no longer be this, you know, monoculture thing it was. It's going to be multicultural, and that the Jews are going to be at the heart of that, and that the Jews will be resented for that. So I think there is a concerted effort of Zionism, world Zionism, to destroy European culture and to destroy white culture in North America, South Africa, Australia, and Europe. And that's just part of the world Zionist agenda. Right. Go ahead, Dutchman. That quote from Barbara Spector about Jews will be at the forefront and they'll be resented for that. And she also says that um, it's it's absolutely necessary or Europe won't survive if it doesn't if it doesn't go that way. You I'm sure you've heard the whole thing, right? Yes. Well, what what does she mean by that? How, I mean, where does she get off saying that? It's it's complete nonsense. And does anyone believe it? Do, do, I mean, maybe you can tell me what she meant, because I really don't even know. I've always Europe been fascinated failed? with that, that part of it. Is that a veiled threat? Because we're all familiar <laughs> with the Samson option that the Israelis and the world Zionists have, which is basically, you know, the biblical story of in Hebrew mythology of Samson and the Philistines where he pushes the temple down and takes them out and kills himself in the process and it's well known policy that you know, the especially the Likudniks say that if Israel falls we're going to take the world with us hmm. and so is that a veiled threat that if the Jews don't get their multicultural Europe they're going to suffer the consequences, like some mafia hit, right. they're going to be nuked or bioweaponed or chemical weapon, which the Israelis have lots of those types of weapons at Demona, but we're not allowed to inspect them. The, you know, the other aspect I think about is just possibly the economics of Europe has been tricked into the same money equal debt system, which is a very Jewish system instead of a money equal value system you always have to bring in the poor class that will work for lesser wages to keep that system afloat, mm. if that makes sense. So if you don't have these you know, refugees that are going to come in and work for a dollar a day or whatever, then the system will collapse onto itself because that's just the way that system is designed. It's a horribly designed economic system to define money as debt at interest and compound interest and then have derivatives on top of that, there's no way that could be sustained over a period of time. And If you go back and look at the Hebrew text, they would always put in what was called a jubilee year every 49 years, which is seven times seven. They're very big into the number seven. That was a reset of the system because they knew that with their usury system, all the money would be concentrated into the hands of a few, and if you didn't redistribute that every 49 years, then the system would just completely fail. Well, you know, Frederick, I have a kind of a different opinion on that, because I see the players in in the Old Testament, what you call the Hebrew writings, much differently. I see the Hebrews as being the Hebrew came from the word Eber, the name Eber, who was a progenitor of Abraham. And that's why his name was Eber, and that's why we have the Hebrews. But I see all those people in the Old Testament as being people that became the Caucasians of Europe. 
like all the, the so-called lost tribes. And I see the Jews as being the descendants of Cain, the two seed line message, and also Esau married into the Canaanites, who are the descendants of the Kenites, descendants of Cain, you know, so it's that bloodline. The reason they had fair economic laws under Moses was the only time when they when they obeyed the Mosaic economic laws did they ha- did they really flourish? Usury was against the law, and it's against the law in the Bible, and it was against the law in Martin Luther's day. Usury was still a capital crime. It was against the law to charge interest. And I think year of Jubilee, 50th year, and also that the ground was to lay fallow, and so it could recover. I think these are all very strong laws that we should put into effect today, that debt was not allowed to get out of control, and land had to revert to the original owners. I don't see this as a Jewish thing. I see it as an Israelite thing who are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and went on to be the Gothic nations of Europe. Well, I'm just looking at it from a mathematical perspective because when you have money lent at interest, the problem is there's always more debt than there is money in the system to pay that debt. Therefore, right. that system is going to collapse. That's the point I was trying to make. Okay, and well, I agree that, that user, usury right. is completely unsustainable and because even though you loan someone $10 and you say, well, you owe me 11 back, they've only created the $10. They've never created the $11 to be paid back. So it's always going to implode on itself. Right. Okay. I just, just want to be sure that we're not saying that Year of Jubilee was a Jewish thing. Cause, no, 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 no. That's okay. not what I'm saying. I'm just talking about how okay. there was a reset to the system because they knew it would collapse on itself. So you had to do a system reset, and that's how they got around to keep you know, civilization their civilization going. That's, that was the point I was trying to make. Okay. Does that seem fair and honest to you? Well, if I was stuck with a flawed system, that would be a... I guess a good workaround uh, that you would have, you know, debt forgiveness every such and such year to, you know, reset the system and you know, level the playing field. But, yeah, and I think it was against the law to refuse to to loan someone money. They didn't loan it at interest, but it was more like the banking system, you know, before usury. I want to move into this. Obviously, is a forte of yours. What do you mean? What is your pepper plan? <laughs> well, when I was doing uh, system engineering, communication engineering for the telecommunication industry, we were faced with the impossible task of taking the telephone network, which was what was, was called a circuit switch network. It was single clock, it was a centralized system. And then we had the computer network over here, which was called a packet switch network. I know I'm saying technical terms, but just trying to show everybody, we had definite apples and oranges between the computer network and the telephone network. And we were tasked with the impossible chore of combining them into a single network. I would have these classes where I would have this... You know, it's kind of like Congress, where you had the Republicans on one side and the Democrats on the other side, and all they did was snarl at each other the whole time. And so I had the telco guys on one side of my class and the computer guys on the other side of the class, and they were both saying, 
you know, what is the answer? What is the answer? How are we going to do this? And I would reply with the phrase, please do not throw sausage pizza away. And then I would look at everybody's face. Now, please do not throw sausage away is, or sausage pizza away is a mnemonic for what was known as the OSI seven-layer reference model. And that was a way that we broke the entire system down into components. And we had things like the physical layer, the data link layer, the networking layer. And it was a communication model so we could let all these engineers be talking the same language. So I was sitting there going, I can't give you the answer. I don't know the answer. But what I can do is give you a communication model, and together we're going to work this out at all these different layers. Okay, so that's kind of the background I was coming from. Now we're faced with world Zionism versus our constitutional republic. These are two apples and oranges kind of things. I write about this in my blogs all the time. You've got a constitutional republic with individual rights, one law for everybody. That's the dream of the perfect union we're trying to establish. Remember, you know, to form a more perfect union, to say to form a perfect union, a more perfect union. We're, we're, this is a work in progress. That was why it was called the great experiment of self-rule, self-banking. We were going to print our own money. We were going to have peer-to-peer -peer leaders. We're going to have distributed leadership. So the loose republic, that we talked about this last time, you know, they had the confederacy of the states to begin with, and then that kind of developed into the constitution model, and then that kind of went downhill as we got the central bank back and we got too much power at the top. But basically, we've got that model of distributed peer-to-peer -peer systems with one law for everybody versus a world Zionist model which is a two-tiered master-slave system that they're trying to centralize in Israel. And that's the whole greater Israel agenda. So what the Pepper Plan is, is a means of me saying, I don't have the answer, kids. I wish I did. I wish I could tell you what to do. But what I can do is break this down for you into these steps so you have a common communication model that we can work on these problems together. And that is the Pepper Plan in a nutshell. And over the coming weeks, I'm going to be releasing more and more information about it. Well, don't tease us. Well, that's why I'm here. It's all about teasing. <laughs> that's marketing, right? <laughs> and all my stuff is shareware, so it's not really marketing if I'm not making any money, right? That's you will never hear me ask for money. I have never asked for money. You won't hear me asking for money. You know, all my stuff is always shareware, open source. So this is marketing of shareware. So there. Okay. So tell, <laughs> tell <enough>. us. <laughs> okay, seven layers. Well, they use a seven-layer model. Mine is a nine-layer model. Blackboard so we're putting nine. Mine, there you go. So mine is a nine-layer model. It is a kind of a matrix model because funny humans are a little bit more complicated than the internet was. Uh, you know, people think the internet's complicated. No. People are complicated. The internet's a piece of cake. Yeah, we, we can't build a computer that's as fast as the human brain. 
Right. Take up buildings and buildings and buildings. I'm just keeping an eye on the chat room. So <laughs> hold on. Well, okay, since you're taking a, a, a breath for a minute, I'm going to uh, – and so I want to ask you if you will make – we're running that same silver promotion, silver and ball cap promotion. They call it the Silver Rush. And Frederick, back to you in, in Dutchman. We want to talk a little bit uh, later on about self-defense because Cassarette in the chat room has been asking about self-defense for women, and we want to talk about that. You're an expert in that. We'll talk about that in a little bit if you're still with us. And I understand you feel lousy, and if you need to go, let us know. Frederick, okay, nine layers. People are more complicated than, than computers, more complicated than the Internet. We need to come up with a new paradigm. Do you believe in these in these cooperatives that we're talking about urban cooperatives, country cooperatives? Well, tell me what what does the, the the trading post do? I have been had good experience with cooperatives and negative experience with cooperatives. A lot of times you can get some of the most cultural marxist self-hating people doing you know, their agenda under the name of a cooperative. I was, uh, like I said, I've had some bad experience with cooperatives. Uh, a lot of it sounds good, but in theory it doesn't pan out. So I call the trading post model a cooperation. Okay, Instead, instead of a corporation or a cooperative, it's a cooperation. And it is not a charity. It is a peer-to-peer uh, system. It is a fair game, fair share system. Okay. And so those are those are the concepts. Tell me practically, what do you do there? Right. We do good services and solutions for all creatures, great and small. We match up the needs of the people in our market area with qualified people that can fulfill those needs. We do everything. From if we do a lot of elder care, we do a lot of maintenance for houses, we do a lot of uh, advocacy work for anything from if somebody is needing to fight with the social services over something and they don't understand the form, we will pick them up with an advocate to go with them to sort it out, to act as a mediator moderator. If somebody gets in trouble with the law, we will go try to get them out of jail, that kind of thing. We uh, we have our own uh, farms, and we do uh, you know, organic, healthy, non-kosher food. All our produce is certified 100% non-kosher, I might add that. Uh, we do a lot of honey, honeybees. Uh, we do both honey production, pollen production. We raise our own queens. We're trying to come up with lines of uh, queens that are more resilient to the pests and pesticides that are being used here in North Carolina. So we're introducing some different strains of honeybees. And so we're just all over, and it's a loose network. And that's one of the things you'll see in my writings. I'm always talking about crews but I spell cruise with a K rather than a C. And that's because in my when I was teaching about the Internet, I would use that as a logical term because it, well, a crew with a C 
that was like a fraternity organization, like the fraternity of police officer, whatever. You were always in one crew, like you're in one group in the military. And if you ever tried to associate with somebody else, you were considered a traitor and not loyal to your team. That sort of mentality. So when you see crew with a C, you sort of think of team, team loyalty, etc. We are set up with crews with a K, which is what we were talking about with the Catholic side of my family down in New Orleans when, or in Brazil where you have Carnival and things like this and Mardi Gras. The people that get together to do those events are crews with a K, which is a little piece of trivia for you. And what's really nice about that system is you can be on more than one crew, and nobody has a problem with that. Hmm. And so in the Internet, you know, you're, we were talking about how these logical systems will be developed in the Internet around websites. And so you'd have a website host, and he would be or she would be attracting people there to get that information. But those same people, like honeybees, will drift over to another website and get information there and share it. And then that can drift over to another site. And so people that are into what we used to call surfing the web, you get lots of information from lots of different places. And so you have like the Sacred Cow Barbecue Crew, right? I'm a proud member of the Sacred Barbecue Crew, but I can also be on the Inside the Eye Live crew with Mr. Dennis Fetchuk. And I can also be on the What Really Happened crew with Mr. Michael Rivera, and that, et cetera. So oh, that's great. So I, I, have, I see a lot of connection that you're a connector. That's what yes. in, in, the, in the tipping point, you, you would be considered a connector. Right, and a facilitator. Yeah, I match up a need with a resource. That same resource could be used over here, over here, over here. I can put together a work crew to do this job, and then they can scatter and form another crew with other people over here. Okay, well, let me get, so let, me get a, let me get a practical insight kind of thing here I need so I can really see this, because I hear what you're saying, but I want to know how it works in reality. Okay, let's say I'm 80 years old. And I need people to help me with my housework or pick up my groceries for me. I need some assistance with my living. I live on my independently, but I need some assistance. How would I interact with the trading post as a this as an eighty year old in that situation? Right. And the first introduction word is help. You know, if somebody says either I need help or somebody I know needs help. And then we say, who is it? What is the need? What are their resources? You know, do we have the means to facilitate this? What can we do? And what are the other resources out there? Because a lot of times when, you know, we are a very meager means, we're still a, uh, what I call, instead of a beta test company, uh, we're a zeta test company because it, you know, it has the potential of blowing up. So we say we're zeta testers instead of beta testers. But we will a lot of times say, well, we know of this group over here that does exactly what you need, and we will introduce you and you know, act as liaison and hand you off. 
So a lot of the times what we do is just hand people off to known good resources. So example, I would, in this area, we have a wonderful program called Meals on Wheels. We have uh, Angel Food, which is several of the churches get together with the local farmers, and we have all this really nice locally grown food that the churches then cook into meals and then distribute to people that need it. And they are completely, they've got the big kitchens with the big pots and all the farmers that can you know, donate so much of their produce to make this happen. We don't have the resource here to do that level. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and so let me give you an example that I'm thinking of. So I'm that 80-year-old woman, mm-hmm. and I need some help with groceries and things like that. And I'm also not driving anymore, but I have a car in my garage. And you have somebody maybe that needs a car to go to work. And so how about if I let them use my car, but part of the deal with that is they get to go to work in my car, but they also have to take me shopping and maybe to any appointments that I want to go to and help me out that way. Is that? That is what we have actually done that with, uh, especially with families where we try to uh, support family systems. We look at the resource within a family system and say, well, you've got this college-age kid over here who needs a car who needs to be hanging out with grandma anyway. So she gets the car, but she has to take grandma to the grocery store, the pharmacist, to the doctor's appointments, et cetera, you know, wherever grandma needs to go. And in exchange, she's, we're going to turn the car over to her, and we're going to drive everybody over to the DMV to do the title change because we know how that's done and we have a notary, and et cetera, et cetera. So that's the kind of systems we put together. And what made you think of this? <coughs> Saw the need. Hey, no more sick people. We have enough sick oh, people sorry. here tonight. There's no cough, no more coughing. Dutchman has got the sick man position tonight. You have to be well. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Shaping in shape here. All right. <laughs> but there's a lot of need in this republic right now. And the pepper pan was designed to address that need, knowing I can't fix it all, wish I could, don't have the resources, but I can do this and I can train people on this model so that they can hopefully continue using it. And the the other thing about the pepper plan and the OSI 7 layer reference model is nobody follows it completely. And that's cool, which is very, very different. The uh, old uh, AT&T engineers hated that because they, they wanted the IEEE specs of it's got to be this and it's got to be perfect and it's got to be exact. But the computer guys are over here going, well, you sort of do this and you sort of do that. And, you know, you got all this proprietary stuff and, you know, it's OK. It doesn't have to be perfect. And it reminds me of the analogy I always teach my newbies is the difference between picking up an M16 rifle and picking up an AK-47 rifle. The first time I ever picked up an AK-47 rifle, I immediately put it down because I thought it was broken because it moved. (laughs) Right? It's like guns aren't supposed to move. You know, there's something wrong with that, right? And then realized that, no, that was the way it was designed. It was designed to be loose and flexible and give have this give to it. And that was the beauty of the OSI 7-layer model is it was kind of like a buffet of the engineers. It's like, we're, you know, Apple's going to use this, this, and this, but Macintosh's going to use this, and this, and this. IBM's going to use this, this, and this. And we're going to slowly come all together. 
And with the Pepper Plan, same thing. You don't have to follow it to the letter. It's just a suggestion. You pick what you want from it, and you leave what you don't want behind. Okay. I think that that works. I I like uh, multiple choice. Ken, do you have anything you want to ask? Oops, we got a break. We'll be back. Give us see us in six minutes. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, welcome back to Sacred Cow Barbecue slash Blackbird Nine Show. I'm Patricia Aiken. I'm your host, Frederick C. Blackburn is here as my co-host, and Dutchman is riding shotgun with us tonight. We've got the chat room fired up over at Inside the Eye Live. We're just kind of commandeering Dennis Fecho's chat room. He's not using it. He's asleep. He doesn't mind. And uh, if you want to join us over there, just go to InsideTheEyeLive.com. Click on the live chat button. There's some folks hanging out, so join us. It's kind of fun. And there's also the chat room at Freedom Slips, but I don't know everybody in there. I know everybody at Inside the Eye Live. So come on over and join us. Frederick, welcome back. Dutchman, welcome back. You. All right. Listen, we're talking about these cooperatives, and I think this is a marvelous idea. How big is this, your trading post? How many people are involved in it? How, how, who runs it? That's the beauty of it. It runs itself. Each trading post has a manager, and there's always the uh, the comedy, and we try to keep it light. And uh, the it was designed so that you know the model could be used at different scalabilities, and that's another thing about the OSI seven layer reference model <clears throat> is the ability to scale with the industry and when i was in corporate land before i got blacklisted i would go go into different size companies everything from mom and pop outfits to fortune 500 companies and consult with them about their computer communication needs and that was the big thing about having a model that was scalable as you went through all those growing pains of going from a small business to a medium-sized business to a large business to a small corporation, medium-sized corporation to a global corporation. The individual can take my writings and hopefully use them to, what we say, stabilize, orient, and navigate. And that means, you know, the first thing you want to do is stabilize your situation. Then you want to orient yourself to figure out where am I going, and then you want to navigate at a good rate of speed and mind the holes and mind the meanies. In other words, mind all the obstacles that are going to get in your way. So from the individual level to the relationship couple level to or just friend level to uh, an intimate relationship, a family an extended family, a uh, community, uh, you know, where you actually have a trading post like we have where we've got, you know, uh, quite a few people working in our network at various levels. And I have connections all over the world that I bring in as resources needed that, you know, work with us. So, you know, we are, in a sense, global via the internet, but very small compared to something like IBM. 
if that makes sense. But it's designed so that everybody can hopefully use this information at some level in their lives if they want it. Well, they where, don't have where, to. Where can, they, where can they get this information? Like I said, I, over the coming weeks, it will be presented. <laughs> you have to remember, you know, I was the guy that no one wanted to talk to several years ago. <laughs> I was blacklisted, run out of town. Yeah. 9-11 truther, who wants to listen to you? <laughs> yeah, 9-11 truther, anti-Semite, Holocaust denier. Holocaust denier. You got, you got called Red all Jack, of it. Like Mr. Evil. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's amazing. So you're going to be rolling this out. Okay, we'll wait. But I think it's a terrific concept. And you can see any city, any town, any community of people, any church – could take this and, and set up a model like this is what I'm hearing. And work with other people at the same time saying, well, how did you do it? One of the things about this is, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Out there, there's somebody who's already been in the situation you're in, and they know what didn't work, and hopefully they know what did work. And so if you can get up with those people, you, you're not reinventing the wheel. And the other thing is in our paths, a lot of times, and in Dutchman's martial arts training, I'm sure you know about sticking points where you get some move. It was like with me, there were certain kicks in Taekwondo and Kung Fu that I just could not master. It was, just, it was a sticking point that would just was holding me back. And I would be working with this person trying to learn it and just couldn't get it. But then I would work with, I'd go to a workshop and work with somebody completely different. And they said, well, try doing it like this or think it this way. And I'm like, well, that makes perfect sense. And then I would get it. Right. So, you know, you got to find your teachers and sometimes, you know, this person might not be the right teacher for you. And so you go to somebody else and that's what it's all about is just setting up this very dynamic synergetic system well i'm trying to hang out in the chat room and talk with you folks and my microphone isn't muting and unmuting as quickly as possible so i just want to say good evening to woody's refuge how you doing tonight man you are a great uh part of our, our last show and nice to see you in the chat room anybody else that's just lurking don't be a lurker just come on hang out with us i think that's awesome and and you here you are because you're such a great co-host you are morphing right into our next topic, and we want to talk about martial arts. In Dutchman, that's your forte. Tell us a little bit about martial arts. What can it do? Because Cassarette says she's five, I think she said she's 5'6". I'm 5'3". What kind of things? There was some, I sent you a piece recently on someone that was saying that he froze. He was a martial arts expert, a trainer, I don't know what you would call that, but he was trained people. His home got invaded one night and he froze. And then so he went out and, and decided to strip down all the martial arts and just teach people a couple basics moves that didn't matter how weak, how small they were, they could overcome people much greater. Is that a pipe dream? It's not a complete pipe dream, but there's physical limitations and there's a huge difference between martial martial arts and self-defense. If someone gets into Shaolin, five animals, boxing, it's, it's an art form. It takes 10 years to lay down the foundation alone. In the, in the true traditional system, 
you really won't even touch on fighting for the first 10 years if you're if you're learning it traditionally it's an art form and it's a health system if the right teacher shows you how to pull fighting moves out of it there's your body will be very able to um, to adapt to those because of the, the physical grooves that you you have put into yourself through the the movements like when you're doing forms a lot of people these days, especially with the um, popularity of MMA, uh, mixed martial arts, they a lot of people think that Kung Fu is no good now and it's not for fighting and this and that, but Kung Fu wait, is wait, always... Wait, I know bad. the song. I know the song. Everybody was Kung Fu. All right, never mind. Go ahead. Right, right. Sorry. The, um, the thing is, these MMA people are not reinventing the wheel or that maybe that's what they're trying to do but all that stuff has been around we were working on that stuff in my kung fu school that it's just the thing was my teacher was very much into the street fighting aspect and how to how to uh, basically shaolin kung fu is what's the word for it it's like um you have to extract the fighting applications out of it and it's like a code. Some people know how to read it, some don't. Most people in America haven't been taught. Even the average black belt, like the guy who froze up, he doesn't have any fighting experience, so of course he's gonna freeze. You can take all the kung fu or kickboxing or boxing, even self-defense, but if you don't have any experience, there's a real good chance you're gonna freeze, especially in a home invasion, because that's flat out frightening. Yeah, especially when you're waking up from a deep, you're mm -hmm. woken up from a deep sleep. Right. Someone's got your your wife, you know. Yeah, I have two layers of prevention to prevent myself from having to uh, get into a physical altercation. To go from a deep sleep to a physical altercation against someone who is awake, and they're very alert. They're I'm, I guarantee they're either on drugs or their adrenaline's sky high from breaking into your house. They've got a weapon. They have every advantage. Their eyes are adjusted to the dark already. So my first line of defense is the dog. We rely on the dog to bark, and that's when the, that's when the gun gets in my hand. Okay, you hear your dog bark, and you know that's your signal to arm yourself. Yeah, I get I get I I keep a loaded pistol next to my bed, so. I'm not trying to get into a kung fu fight in the middle of the night, especially I, I wear a CPAP when I sleep because I have uh, apnea. Yeah, really bad sleep apnea. Also, I'm I'm a bit arthritic, so I get I get a little stiff. Of course, with the um, with the situation of an intruder, that stiffness would go away. I'm I'm sure you know the adrenaline would take over, but of course, if I had to, I'd, I'd run their head right through the wall. I have 70 swords hanging on the wall in my room. So they don't want to come in my house. I have two AK-47s, a SKS, an M16, about 16 pistols. It's just a, my house is a really bad choice for a in home invasion. But as far as martial arts goes, there is, um, there's a certain certain things that should be taught to a woman for realistic purposes. A man has a, a layer of when someone, forgiveness, okay? 
the the extra strength is forgiving to mistakes. Okay, a five foot three woman, it's the small bones are a problem. I can teach you a karate chop, but unless I'm just teaching it you, if I'm teaching you the karate chop for the art of it and the physical fitness, that's fine. But I, it's my responsibility to let you know up front that it's going to be several years of really intense training before your karate chop is actually uh, useful in a fight. And anybody who wants to argue that with me, they haven't been in fights. And if they have, they, they're not someone possessing a tiny five foot three woman's hand. You know what I mean? A grown man can say that's not true, but he has a, a large bone, a large frame hand that, you know, if you've been swinging a hammer for 10 or 20 or 30 years or carrying concrete, any type of physical work period, with those hands, there's a, there's a huge difference. They're already so. Oh my gosh. I shake hands. I shake hands with a man like that. And it's like my hand disappears into a vice. Mm -hmm. Yes. And let me tell you something. Every, um, every single self-defense technique where they, they'll show you, um, like say I come up to you and I grab your jacket with both hands. Every technique they show you on how to knock my hands away from your lapel is absolute bullshit. Let me, let me give you a fact. There's nothing you can do to get my hands off of your lapel other than stab me with a knife, mace me, or shoot me. There's the chance you could shove a thumbnail or something into my eyeball. They say the groin shots work, but the truth is, no, it doesn't. If I really want to hang on to you and sling you around, you can't kick me hard enough. Here's... If you can, now with the lapel grab, there's a lot of control. You don't want a potential enemy to get that close. You understand? That's the key. Someone's walking up to you in a strange place. You can feel a situation coming about mm -hmm. most of the time. You should have your hand on a weapon. And when, when they're within 10 feet, you should tell them to stop if you're uncomfortable. Well, so the great equalizer isn't really martial arts a great equalizer is to pack some heat well it can be martial arts my my hand I've, I've been slamming it into concrete and lead bags for 30 years and i weighed well over 200 pounds okay but i'm, I'm the great equalizer for a woman would be yeah, i'm not saying there are any things you can do listen the pound for pound a woman's leg muscles are just as strong and endured as a man's so you can learn kicks to the knees, which are effective. And the, the groin kick can be effective, but you, have, you still have to develop it. If you really want to use your body, you, you need to spend a couple years developing these kicks and doing them properly, you know. I would the, like uh, an I, what I would like is an awareness so I never have to feel like I need to use my body. Right. That's, that's the key to good security. Self-defense is about personal security. And personal security is, is keeping out of those situations at all costs. And if you, that way, the only time you fight is uh, when you're completely justified in using deadly force. That's, that's my whole thing. If you make sure that you're justified in using deadly force, then you just slip that knife right into their gut or right through their juggler vein. That'll take their hands off of your lapel right now.
And that's that's what it's really about. And another, you know, when the judge sees a, a five foot three woman, and this most most likely this drug addict monster with a huge huge police record already behind him most of the time, they're not going to wonder why you had the knife. You're you're not even going to spend a night in jail, you know? Right. But martial arts is great. It just it's something that has to be developed. There's a lot of people that want me to tell them the magic secret or. What what six week program can I do? You know, sh- just show me the best move. Yeah, give me that thirty year pill you took. <laughs> Exa- exactly, and it it just doesn't exist. Now I will say this: there, there's a few things. Your elbows, a uh, elbow to you know, which is very hard to the to the soft place, can be good. Uh, the side of the neck, the temple, mm-hmm. below the ear, an elbow to the. Um, solar plex region to knock the wind out if or if you can kick that high that's real good kick to the pelvis the groin the knees even um a stomping uh kick to the ankle those are things that can be learned right off the bat but you also have to have some experience with a a teacher who uh basically will go 70 or 80 percent with you so you're used to seeing what it's like and when you feel the real strength of someone who is after you. You'll be surprised just how strong and mobile a human being can be when they're on adrenaline. And really, you need to use a weapon against them. If, if, a, if a little woman is against a big man, she needs to use deadly force. You know, I, when I go to gun shows and things, they have some of these like okay. stun guns kind of things. But to mm-hmm. me, that's not going to be effective. Somebody has to be really close to you before you ha- can have a chance to use that on them. That's right. And then, and, if not- they, and if they're trained, they can disarm you and use it on you. Yeah. As soon as I see the stun gun, it's, it's my stun gun immediately. But not only that, the, what I do for the people when I used to train people – for the stun gun thing is I would go to my drawer and get one that I bought when, when they first came out many years ago. I saw, I saw them being advertised on the news and the people were falling down and passing out. And I said, that's great. 40 bucks. Oh, wow. You know, you give them one touch and they lay on the ground for up to 10 minutes unconscious. I can get away. I can run pretty far in 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, here's the lie. I went and bought one. And at the time, it, it, that one was advertised as 100,000 volts. And later, they were advertised as having 250,000 volts. Then they were half a million. Now they're up to two or three million. Well, the one that's two or three million feels exactly the same as the 25-year-old or 30-year-old one I got that is 100,000 volts. The thing is, they, they have all these volts. They have a nine-volt battery in them. They're nine volts. They have zero amperage. <laughs> yeah. They have zero amperage, and amperage is what kicks your ass. Okay? If I hit you with five or six amps, you'll be on your ass. So what I do is I would hold that stun gun on my arm until the battery died just to show everyone how well they worked. And then I would toss it back in the drawer, and we would start our lessons. Yeah. So, oh, my. Yeah. And my, my buddy uh, used to have this buddy, Ronnie, that would drink a, a couple cases of beer, and he would put the stun gun on his head, on his neck, on his teeth. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. So, 
yeah, you know, he was drunk, but still, a lot of times the bad guy is going to be on something too, you know. And the, whether it's painful or not, it never put anybody down. Now the ones, um, the ones that that shoot the little darts that the police use, tasers, tasers, tasers are a lot better, and you can buy them now. But let me tell you, both prongs have to make it into the flesh of the opponent. Now where I live. Seven months of the year, seven to eight months of the year, people are wearing either a sweatshirt, a jacket, or a winter coat. So the chances of getting both prongs in a situation where, you know, how quick these situations can uh, can come up, you know, you don't have a lot of time. And another thing is anyone who has ever done any martial arts, any serious martial arts training, should be able to pull those electrodes right back out of there. However, I know that most attackers are not serious martial artists. Uh, those are two things that have never gone hand in hand. I hate stun guns. I, I really like blades. I love them. I like mace, too. A good CS gas or a mace, tear gas. Okay, what's, what's CS gas? You know, I don't even know what it stands for. Shame on me. But the, uh, it takes your breath away. It doesn't just burn your eyes. When you, so you, if the person has sunglasses or eyeglasses on, it doesn't matter. If you get it anywhere in the vicinity of their face or neck or chest, they, they feel like they can't breathe, and it really scares the, the opponent more than anything. By the time he realizes that he can get a few breaths in, now his uh, sinuses his, are burning, He's, they're, they're pouring like faucets. They're pretty much done for. But if they're on crack or meth, you could, you could need a little more than that. But what I, what I teach people is to blast and run. Don't, don't wait around to see. If he recovers. You, yeah, you, you can see if you got him. And, if you, and you should. I mean, you should be able to. The thing is, if you're, if you're so trusting that you let crackheads get within one foot of you in the middle of the night, then self-defense and, and personal security really isn't going to be your thing. I'm a big guy, and I don't let strangers walk up on me. Not, you know, they're going to see my hand go right into my pocket, and I got stuff, I got stuff attached all over myself. They're, they're going to be in trouble. Yeah. I just victimized as a child. I'm, I'm just very adamant about never being victimized again by multiple attackers. I was in martial arts as a kid, thank God, yeah. but you could only handle so many people. Yeah, and, and when you're a kid and you've got adult, much bigger people, like 25-year-olds coming at you, you're, you're, you know, you can only handle so many of those. Yeah, and believe it or not, by the time I was 12, I was big enough to handle a few of those. Believe it or not, but I remember a few incidents where uh, me and my sister had walked up to uh, some cousins of mine moved from uh, San Rafael, California, about three blocks up the street from us. The only place that was open in the area was that it might have only been three blocks away from me, but there was quite a, quite a big difference where my, like right around my house, within one block each direction, was probably... 
70% black at that time. And, but once you got about three or four blocks, yeah, yeah, about three blocks up the street, that was, that was 100%. So well, I want to know how how did the name how did that happen? I just got to ask you this question, then we can go back to talking martial arts. And Frederick, I want you to be ready because I know you have some information that you want to put out about this martial arts thing, this and self defense that we're talking about. But when when your parents moved to this area, what was the makeup then, and why did they stay when the neighborhood started to go like that? You you described yeah. it as a kaleidoscope. Yeah, and I can tell you exactly why and how that happened uh, real quick. My dad, who was a, a auto body and car painter for, uh, I think, 27 years, um, had ended up becoming disabled from a motorcycle accident. He came into a lawsuit. We didn't have much money. He, he grew up in that neighborhood and was just partial to it, you know? He, he just thought it was okay. Even though he knew it was going downhill, he just figured we'd be okay. He came into a little bit of a money. He didn't want to go into debt, so he took the little bit he had. And uh, I come home from school one day in the fourth grade, and he said, I found us a house because the, the street we were living on was, was bad. It was, uh, it was real bad. We were being attacked with bricks and sticks on a daily. And I said, I was so excited. Where's it at? Where's it at? And he said, well, go out in the side yard and look straight behind uh, – the house, look through the houses and you can see it over there. And I just dropped into tears because I knew we were staying. And if he was buying it, we were really staying. Oh. So that was that. Now, the, the house we were living in before we moved over there to that house, there was a, a whore in the neighborhood. There was a white whore named Ann Rice, like the lady that writes the books. Right. Um. Well, my sister had blonde hair and a fat ass, and that's not a good combination in the hood because that's their favorite thing. Cadillacs, blonde hair, and fat asses. <laughs> that is that You're is listening thing. to Sacred Cow Barbecue, everybody. There's nothing off limits here. <laughs> you know, being victimized. Every, every pimp that drove up and down the street, every drug dealer, they were all trying to yell at her, and the old dirty whore Ann Rice got jealous and was coming up to our house trying to start trouble. My, my sister was, I was 9, 10, 11. She was, she was 11 and a half or 12 years old at the most, getting this adult attention. For, this, this is what kind of filthy monsters these people really are. If there was a Superman, he would have came into that neighborhood and ripped those people to shreds because they all deserved it. Anyways, my, we had been in martial arts for two years at that point, and my sister, it, it, she's funny because she's not really a fighter, but when she loses it, she seems to become one. It's, it's strange. Like, if you told her to show you martial arts or something, there, would, there really wouldn't be none there. But we got cornered by this filthy bitch one night. She wanted to attack two little kids, and my sister kicked her in the ribs so hard it literally broke them. And the lady goes to the ground. My sister hit her on the other side. She was, maybe the, her bones were brittle from the crack. She stomped her good. I was standing there. We, we had been doing some break dancing. That was the thing, the Michael Jackson and the break dancing. And I was holding the big boom box. And my sister, who's on top, this is a grown woman she's sitting on top of. 
and she's punching her in the face and she she looks up at me and she screams and what's so funny about it is she was doing just fine there was no reason for panic this girl could not breathe at all from her rib damage and she looks up at me and screams kick her in the face and uh I, i'll never forget it what do, what am i gonna do i'm a good little brother i kicked the woman right in the head and then i took the uh radio and started bashing her in the head with it oh. you know she was a 20 some year old prostitute that was there to attack an 11 year old out of jealousy oh my the, gosh yeah that's the level of filth that we were surrounded with so yeah when when my cousins moved up to that other street we we went up there to visit them and we come down out of there to go back to our house and here we are surrounded these these old winos the neighborhood was crawling with them old black willies they're all named willie i don't care what they mumble out of their mouth their name is willie they're all the same they look the same they talk the same their their mental uh, capacity is the same and we were surrounded in them and they had clubs and they they began to you know they was hitting us and breaking them the the one guy shattered a big stick across my sister's uh thigh it was a scary situation and then the people in the house that were adults who were my cousins there was probably four or five adults in there they were looking out of the window i'm a, i'm out there with my fists up ready to try to defend our lives and there's four capable of a, adults in the house they weren't coming out they're white why weren't, they coming, coming why weren't out. they coming out to rescue you? Well, at that time, I just figured it was because they was white because I went on to, an, to survive another 15 years of every white friend I ever had running as fast as he could every time blacks came to fight us. I had lost faith in my people, and that's why I don't have any friends because the, as a child, every white friend I ever had ran, and every and every... Every black friend I ever had stabbed, you know, stabbed me in the back or stole it off of me. They usually try to get steal your stuff and get your girlfriend. <laughs> oh, oh my god! But yeah, I, that's why I t- I have a huge issue with my own people. I really do. I've got a, a real bone to pick with my own people. I want to save them. I want to stand with them, but. And I know there's I know there's fighters out there. There's plenty of them. I just, you know, I grew up in a, a piece of crap area. The few white kids that were in that area, they didn't have strong father figures like I had. They were most they didn't even have fathers around. It was a it was a poor area. You know what I mean? Right. So I guarantee that has a lot to do with it. If we would have been out here in the suburbs where I raised my kids, these 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 boys start wrestling when they're little kids. They all play football. There are lots, you know, they have stronger wills. They're, they're stronger, better people. So that's, you know, that's my experience with that. Frederick, I know there's a great conversation going on here. Woody's Refuge, um, you, you can call in. Love, love to talk with you. We're talking in Castoret. You know the call-in number. I, I can't go there without losing stuff. So just go to freedomslips.com and call in. We'll, we'll, we want to have you in this conversation if you want to be in it. But, Frederick, you, you have some martial arts experience. What do you want to add to this conversation? We think uh, the best defense is, is never needing one. I would agree. Uh, also, just avoiding the situation you know don't go into a situation where you're going to get into a fight 
Yeah, there's just certain bars you don't go into. There's certain streets you don't go down. Just saying in the chat room, when I used to do so much international traveling, the job site might be three blocks from the hotel, but I would get a driver to take me those three blocks because I knew I would not make it three blocks in, let's say, Kingston, Jamaica on in the evening that business a white businessman in a suit going from IBM to a hotel three blocks away, there would be no way I would make it. Being aware of your surroundings at all times, but also realizing that as things change, you're going to find yourself in hot situations. The question is, you know, are you prepared to do what you have to do? And that's one of the things when you're Going up against somebody in a sparring competition where there's a referee with a whistle is one thing. Getting jumped from behind in a dark alley is a completely different ball game. And you know you're just you just need to get away from that assailant as possible, quickly as possible. Like he was saying, don't hesitate. You know, once you break free and mace him or whatever, you know, get away from that. The other thing, I guess, in my experience, is never pull a weapon on anybody if you're not prepared to use it with lethal force, because they will take it away from you and they will use it on you. Well, I have a friend who someone was trying to steal his truck. A group of three or four blacks were trying to steal his truck one night here in Las Vegas. And he went out and brandished a pistol and fired a pistol. And he ended up going to jail because they complained and said he was trying to kill him. And he wouldn't have gone to jail. So what you're saying is true. Use it. Yeah, it's just, you know, when you realize that you are an upper plan model, I have, you know, what we call the negative four holes. And, you know, you have these different stages of holes you can find yourself in. And when you find yourself in a negative four hole, you're in a situation where it's me or them. And that is just the reality of, you know, combat is when you are in a hand-to-hand situation and it's going to be a lethal force situation, you have got to be able to get wrap your head around that if you want to survive. Dutchman, in your experience, new, new people, untrained people, not, not you, but other people, do they, do they hesitate? Yes. I would think, really, I would think in that situation I wouldn't hesitate for a minute. It's me or them. It's going to be them. Well, you know, there's a difference between a a fight. There's many levels of threat, many levels of danger. A simple fight over words in a bar, while, while that could turn really ugly really quick, people are still going to hesitate because they're thinking it's just a fight. I'll try to talk my way out. Um, there's things to look for and you know martial arts didn't teach me this the streets of my and my father really beat it into my head starting at around six or seven whenever I started school I think six that was if someone's acting in any way shape or form as an aggressor towards you when they come into range of striking it's time to strike now, there's, there's no other rules to that. There's no if, ands, or buts. If there is an aggressor, what we call it, talking crap or acting uh, in an intimidating way, 
once they come, if, if you can reach him, he can reach you. Okay, so you're going to give them one, if you're going to be nice, then that's one warning before they enter into your zone, your personal space. If they keep coming, then they obviously have just proved that they are an aggressor or a threat. You understand? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would have stopped. So right. once they cross that, you don't wait for them to touch you or talk any more words. The time for talk is over. The time for mer- mercy is very over. That's, that's my take on that. And they're going to get it. And they're going to get it real bad. Because I'm not going to do no John Wayne haul off and put, throw your arm back in left field and then swing it a mile wide. I'm going to zap you 30 times in your eyes and neck. You're going to fall to the ground in a heap. That's my style. Frederick? That should be. Exactly. There are several layers of confrontation. And when somebody comes into your personal space as an aggressor, you don't try to negotiate. You don't try to reason. You don't try to placate the situation. You have to get into that warrior mode and understand that you know you need to take your advantage, fight on your terms, and not give them the first opportunity because they have shown themselves to be the aggressor, that they're coming into your space, you have warned them, you have to be able to get your head into warrior mode, and that is very hard for people to do because I think you in this culture, Everybody thinks everything can be worked out if we all just sing Kumbaya, you know, and this person, oh, they've had a bad childhood. I should, you know, feel sorry for them. That's a good way to get killed on the street. That's right. Yeah, it's much easier, um, yeah, to explain why you shot someone than be raped and dead. Well, in North Carolina, we always say it's better to be judged by 12 than carried by six. <laughs> and referring to the jury of 12 of your peers judging you rather than being carried by six of your relatives as they put you in the ground oh, to bury oh, oh, I got that right away. I got that right away. Hey, listen, everyone, you're listening to Sacred Cow Barbecue slash the Blackbird 9 show uh, here at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. So I can't believe, uh, can you believe, it, we're two hours into this almost already. We've got about 10 minutes. Kasra, in the, in the chat room, tell us, what do you think of this? Do you know, how are you handling this now? She's talking about some situation that she's been in in Europe, and uh, she was really aware that she was in some danger. So I'd like to know what her thoughts are here, so I'm going to let her type that in as we continue to talk about this. So I think the only situation here is for for women to be armed. I I don't have a choice not to go out in groups. I remember when I I took a job recently and it was at night that I was leaving about nine o'clock into this parking lot in a neighborhood I didn't know. And I asked one of the young men there, would you walk out with me? I will give you a ride to your car, to the bus stop or wherever you're going. If you'll walk out, he says, oh, are you afraid to go? Do you want someone to walk you to your car? And I go, absolutely I do. I'm a little more confident with the neighborhood now that there's not a lot of people around and stuff. But, um, yeah, I was really concerned that I was going out in a neighborhood I didn't know here in Las Vegas at that hour. That's smart personal security. Yeah. 
And so if you see someone with a weapon, like you said, if you see someone with one of those stun guns, it's yours. What do you mean by that, Dutchman? I mean, are you gonna? Can you disarm me as well if I had a gun? Absolutely. the The thing with the gun, though, is with the stun gun, there's no risk. I can disarm you with absolutely no risk to my to myself. So the moment you put it out there, it's it's just it's it's comedy to me. It's coming out of your hand so fast. And in fact, the the only person that might be able to keep a grip on it. Maybe Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> oh, you know, that's not because good. his hand will wrap all the way around it and then some. Yeah, and he's a giant. Okay, what but about what about a, a firearm? You know, the firearm is different because you you know you take a, you take a big risk. If if you fail, you can be hurt. The with a with a firearm. If I was going to attempt to disarm, which if you if you feel that you're in a situation where they're probably going to try to shoot you anyways, or maybe they have already tried to shoot some of these people. I, I've seen them at point-blank range missing. On uh, There's lots of uh, YouTube videos where they're trying to shoot a police officer, and they're literally within reach and still missing because people who haven't been trained with a, a short-barreled uh, pistol, they don't have no idea how, how uh, easy it is to miss especially in a high adrenaline situation if you don't have a clue what you're doing. But, yeah, so let's say I'm in, in a position where I feel that I really must try to, to disarm them. I, I've been trained with techniques, and I've practiced them for years. And there's, there's, a, um, there's a nerve and a, and a tendon on your arm. The uh, What do they call that when you... When people type and they get that in their wrist. Carpal tunnel. Yeah. When you get that, it's the same area. If I take the bone in my wrist and crack you right in the nerve of your wrist, you'll, your hand will go limp briefly. And with my other hand, I, there's a little technique that you do. And um, it's, it's very quick. And they use it in the movie. Steven Seagal uses it all the time. If you watch him disarm a pistol from someone he in, in, on a YouTube video or something, that's the one he uses all the time. And it works. We practice it with wooden knives and rubber knives and rubber pistols and stuff. I, I practiced it for years. But the thing is, wow, it would really be best if you could avoid that situation and what I, what I do myself personally, normally, if I'm someplace where I could be attacked by a gun, I would have my gun with me too. And before I try to grab theirs, I'm probably going to be going for mine. And I know how to shoot. So I'm a big advocate for the weapons. Even, you know, my martial arts is, I, I have a lot of martial arts. There's, I can do things from Kung Fu because of 30 years of training, I can get away with doing a lot of things. There's a, I can break your arm. There's a spot on your, right below your shoulder where the bone is exposed in your arm. And I've trained my hand to the point where I guarantee I can break your arm with a quick shot to it. I can break concrete blocks with it. That's, that's some, you know, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that's me. And I don't want somebody to think they can come and learn that same technique because the same technique ain't going to work as well. 
not in not in six weeks of training, and I don't have really have thirty years to right. put into it, this. It, it really takes. No, but you could you could put. I'll send you some stuff if you want. There's a guy. There's a guy on YouTube. That's great. Just a few months of getting some some basic understanding, it, it would help. It, it it can always be useful. Okay. So as a, as a person, an, an untrained person with a gun, a person who's untrained with a gun, are they in more danger? Or is it at least do they at least have the intimidation factor going for them? Well, if they if they let their opponent get too close, or they hold the gun out too far and get too close, the thing is, when you're dealing with professional predators, they they're masters at reading fear. They can smell it. They some of them feed on it. That is and, so um, key that you are dealing with a professional predator, and that's what people can't get their head around. Is this is not a normal healthy psyche. This is a professional predator. They see yep. you as prey. So keep going. I just wanted to yeah. tip the yeah, hat to that's that. That's right. And, and if you add some drugs to that, and there's a good chance they're not afraid of the gun. In fact, some of those wino willies that I was telling you about, they yeah. are not afraid of a gun at all. So, uh, lots of them have even been shot. You wouldn't believe the bullet wounds, and we talked about the squealer scars and all that last time I was on, but there's a lot of them, and I told you about uh, old Luther with the buckshot scars even, but there's a lot of them with bullet scars, and, and they are not afraid of a gun, and even some of those black women, the, the, the man will p- try to pistol whip them, and she'll end up getting it, wrestling the damn thing away from him and killing him with it. They're monsters. <laughs> But people that are used to dealing with that stuff and and uh, fighting and it's it's mega violence is part of the ultra violence is part of their daily lives. Somebody can't wrap their mind around that that has never been a part of it. So what they need to do is stay out of that situation. If they get into it, don't let nobody get close. And if if you as a woman tell someone that I'm afraid for my life, I want you to stay back. If the person doesn't stay back, you're justified in killing him because he's clearly showing you that he means violence. So, you know, there, here in, in Vegas, there are places I, I won't like I would go into a convenience store during the day. I won't go into a convenience store at night. Well, that's good thinking. Some of them are really bad. Yeah. Convenience stores are where they sell those the, the wraps that they put around their blunts. So they're always crawling with them. They have to roll a blunt every couple hours. So they're back down there to get more wraps, and then that's where they do all their business with everybody else. And who's going to meet up with me tonight? Well, Who they have they, they show they show up in gangs sometimes. They just go in yeah. and just take whatever they want out of the store and harass whatever customers are in there. So yeah. I don't I don't stay I I won't go in one. I wish that those store owners were allowed to to not only shoot but I mean break out the street sweeper and and literally you know. Cut every one of them in half. I don't care if, if it's 40 10-year-olds, okay? All 40 of them should be missing their head if they come in to destroy your place of business like a bunch of wild apes and think they're going to just steal everything and run out the door. Huh? What, what in the world is wrong with mowing them down? What else can you do? Right. They'll be back with 50 willies. 
Yeah, it's crazy. You got to put them down. You got to put those beasts down. It's all I can see. It's, am I but, wrong? No, I don't think so, Dutchman. And Dutchman, I really appreciate that you've brought some reality into self-defense here tonight and what someone can really expect to be able to learn in a short amount of time. And really, I would say your time sounds like it's better spent learning how to handle a firearm, learning how to handle, you know, a nine millimeter or even a twenty-two, something a little more powerful than a twenty-two, something that can stop them. Mm-hmm. And it would be trying to invest in martial arts at this point if uh, it's a little late in the game for that. It it really is. I'm I'm not going to tell you that there aren't a few t- techniques. There are there are some throat chops and some things that are effective that. They're good to know as a backup. I'm, I wouldn't tell anybody to rule it out. If they're interested in getting involved in it, get involved. But what I recommend is the, it's called a Lady Smith, the hammerless 38, five-shot, airweight, Smith & Wesson. Uh, Taurus makes one also. Uh, actually, Ruger makes a, a, a polymer one. It, it weighs nothing. There's, they've got so many wonderful ways to conceal it these days. You can have those things concealed all over you and not a, no one would know any better. And you're, you're a millisecond away from putting five rounds in their chest. That, that's the best. And they, they're always going to slide out of their holster because there's no hammer to get snagged. They're, they've got a rounded, contoured edge. They're, they're the perfect pocket gun. And they've got enough power to do massive damage. They're the, I carry one. My wife carries one. Uh, when my, each one of my children turn 21, hopefully they'll carry one. And I carry a lot of other guns too, but that's my... If I only had one to carry as an everyday, I love those Airweight 38s. Well, that's a great recommendation. You know, I used to always be into the the Glock mythology, but then I started shooting them and I found they jam, they're heavy, they don't fit, you know, they don't fit in my hand good. I'm 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 going to check those out. Uh Frederick, some parting remarks here. The music's going to come on any minute here. Uh just that I have really enjoyed being with you again tonight and Dutchman as always. I enjoyed it. I learned so much from you just the reality of the situation and I thank you both so much. Well, it's our pleasure. I really love hearing about the trading post tonight and what people can start doing to have more cooperative or cooperation places. I think that's a an excellent idea, and we need to do that because the hour is late. It really is, and, and it's a good way to starve the beast. Definitely. Starve the beast. Starve Boz, as I say, the beast of Zion. <laughs> <laughs> Dutchman, yeah. I got to have you back in here. You know more about snakes than anybody else I've ever heard. Yeah, snakes. We've got to we've got to talk about this sometime because it was really really fascinating, and uh, you know what their place is in the universe. It's 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 pretty interesting. <laughs> you well, didn't think they had a place, right? Yeah, I know. I just I was wondering. I thought they were maybe a product of the fall or something. I go. Well, I know they've got to be doing something in the environment. So that's you know pretty what they, cool. They're they are a meat sock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're out of time, everybody. Uh, Frederick C. Blackburn, thank you so much. Dutchman, always great. Everybody in the chat room, thank you very much, and we'll uh, look forward to seeing you at another Sacred Cow Barbecue. Be well, everyone. <laughs>